0: To me, the most important behaviors are to have an insatiable curiosity, but it's not just enough to be passively curious. You have to put it into action and you have to be passionate about problem solving. And then you have to be fearless about risk, which means that you embrace change.
1: Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. 20-Minute Leaders is a proud supporter of Make-A-Wish Israel and Tech2Peace and is in proud collaboration with Secret Court Ventures, Jay Ventures, Riverside FM, Fusion VC, Birthright Excel, J-Impact, Leap, Google for Startups, and Hippo. And in media partnership with C-Tech. Hello and welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Today, I'm with Lorraine Marchand, Executive Managing Director of Meritiv, formerly IBM Watson Health. She has three decades of experience in new product development and has held leadership positions at Bristol Myers Squibb, Covens, Cognizant, and IQVIA, and has co-founded four companies, Martin is an adjunct professor of management and serves on the healthcare and pharmaceutical management program advisory board at Columbia Business School and is an adjunct professor of innovation and entrepreneurship at Yeshiva University's Katz School of Science and Health. She is also an investor member of venture firm Plum Alley. Her new book, The Innovation Mindset, Eight Essential Steps to Transform Any Industry, was recently published by Columbia University Press. We're gonna have such a good time, Lorraine. Uh, so much to get through, so little time. Twenty minutes is not nearly enough. You have so many different hats, such an and such amazing experiences that that I'm just excited to pick your brain on the different things that that you've uncovered, the different things that you're you're excited by. Ultimately, you know, thinking about innovation, most recent book, uh, the innovation mindset, and I'd love to understand how this plays into your life all the way from. From your parents and from your upbringing, today with uh, your teachings with Yeshiva University in Columbia, you've also taught in, in some other incredible institutions like Princeton and Rutgers. You co-founded a bunch of companies. You've, you're involved with uh, Merative, uh, formerly IBM Watson Health. So 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 much, so many different things to to talk about that it's a little bit overwhelming as a, as a host here. But I'll I'll do my best. Uh, Lorraine, you know. Put some sense into all these different things that I just said. How, how does that happen? What, what is sort of the connecting dot for your own path as you see it?
0: Oh, well, thank you, Michael, for that question. And it, it is a, a circuitous path. And I'll, I'll try to cut through and make it simple for people to understand what makes me tick, so to speak. And so I'll tell two stories Uh, The first story is, you you know, you reference my upbringing and my parents, and I did have the good fortune to be reared by a mom and a dad, but my dad in particular was an inventor. And growing up around the house, he would always challenge me and my younger brother to find at least three solutions to every problem that we identified. (sighs) And he really brought this point home one summer when he took us to the Hot Chops cafeteria, a diner in uh, the outskirts of a a little city in Maryland. And our job as we sat in the big red vinyl booths of the diner, eating our breakfast of scrambled eggs and orange juice, was to observe what was slowing down table turnover. (laughs) And he got us a stopwatch, we had our composition books, our three colored pens, he even made sure that we could interview the waitresses and the bus boys. He obviously led the interviews. And after three days of research, we determined that the culprit was sugar packets. And as individuals were putting the sugar in their coffee or their tea, they were spewing them on the floor. It was just taking extra, many extra minutes to clean up. Wow. But, But my dad, because you always had to come up with three solutions, we didn't stop there. So we had the job of coming up with three solutions and we did. And the one that we landed on and ended up taking to prototype was something that we called the sugar cube and it held the sugar packets, also the discarded ones. And then to make sure that it had value beyond just a sugar packet dispenser, we designed it so that it could hold advertising and the local advertisers could put their advertisements at the the diner. So when we unveiled it to the manager of the restaurant, she loved it, and I'm not um, I'm not being exaggerating with that. She really loved it, and she loved it so much that she spread the word throughout the Baltimore, Washington area. Huh. And within six months, the sugar cube was being used in these hot shop cafeterias. So. You can imagine what an amazing experience that was. How old were you? I was 13. So at the age of 13, I learned that problem solving was fun and lucrative. And I also learned a disciplined approach to it. I learned that you had to really understand your problem. You had to quantify it. You had to qualify it. You had to test it with your customers. And then you had to come up with a solution that you could also test for fit, and that ultimately your customer had to be willing to pay for your new product or solution. So if I kind of fast forward, I've always been interested in healthcare. My own mission statement has been around being able to advance and promote people's health. And um, early in my career, I found myself at the National Institutes of Health. And I was a science writer there. And I was watching the amazing work that was being done in cancer, in the sequencing of the human genome. I could see that biologic therapies and gene therapies and and cell therapies at some point were going to be making their way down the path and that we would have precision medicine as we know it now. But at that time, we were in the era of the blockbuster drugs. So cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. And in those days, they believed that those diseases were primarily, uh, the, 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 the symptoms would be in, in, in men, in middle-aged men. So the clinical trial infrastructure, the research infrastructure was primarily designed to test new drugs and therapies in middle-aged white men. And as I saw these therapies and the human genome and the possibility of precision medicine, I realized even then that we were going to need to include women, that we were going to need to include, you know, different races, and that we would need to make the research arena much more equitable, much more accessible to all if we were really going to create these wonderful therapies. And so I decided... I was going to grab hold a part of that elephant in my career and tackle that problem. Now, obviously, I couldn't tackle the whole problem because there are a lot of different parts of it. But in my quest to try to make healthcare more equitable, clinical research more equitable, and get drugs to market to help more people, that's really been the guiding principle that has that has guided my career and my career choices. So when you talk about all the different things that I've done. It's all been around that as a mission statement and all trying to create an ecosystem where students and graduate students and early-stage entrepreneurs and corporate executives. And so I've sat in all those different seats in the ecosystem in an effort to try to influence them positively about having a problem-solving orientation and the innovation mindset, which I write about in my book, that I was fortunate enough that my dad inculcated in me. So I love the work that I do. I love turning people on to innovation, whether it's a team at a corporation or senior leaders, or whether it's an individual. I got a great email yesterday from someone who attended a a talk that I gave around innovation, and he said he was so inspired, and he got a notebook, and he was writing down problems, and would I meet with him and help him flesh out these problems he had identified? And I said, absolutely, because whether it's one person or a hundred people, I want to get the word out.
1: I love it. Well, I'm definitely sharing that same excitement right now with uh, my notebook here. That's why sometimes I'm looking down because this, this is just fascinating. And what I find most intriguing here, um, besides obviously, there's um, so, so a lot of questions that I have about your own innovation mindset and how, tra- how, how you know you help different people in different parts of their lives to translate it into actionable items. It sounds like your life is, you've had this huge mission statement, you know, very clear to you about what a role you want to play, not just for yourself, but for your community, for the industry, for the ecosystem, whether it be students, whether it be healthcare and what that means. Can you walk me through some of the different things you've you've taken part in and how they fit into your mission statement? Because I And and specifically, I wanna understand that under the context of sort of this larger question of why you do what you do. So why did you choose to do those different endeavors? How did they fit into the bigger puzzle of who is Lorraine on her mission?
0: Yes, that's a very insightful question, Michael. So thank you for asking it. And what I would say is, as I had my own innovation journey, so a desire to solve problems and create solutions, So often I would find that I was taking a lot of steps, a lot of missteps, probably made a lot of mistakes, every mistake in the book, proverbial book, so to speak. And so through all of those experiences, as I would look back and think about them and bring new ideas, figure out how I could do kind of a continuous process improvement methodology, well, I did this and it didn't work out so well, so I'm going to do this a little bit differently I, I realized that I had talked with a lot of people. I had experienced a lot of case studies. I certainly made a lot of mistakes along the way. And so one of my goals is to try to help the and accelerate the path of other innovators to get their ideas to market. And so in the book, I have tried to distill what is the process or the steps you can follow to be an innovator, to develop your products and ideas. How can you supercharge that, if you will, and how can you avoid making some of the same mistakes that I did? So the book is really an expression of, I wish this book had existed, whether (laughs) I had been innovating in a corporation when I did my various startups and my first startup. It took me a year to meet everybody that I needed to meet, to raise capital, to figure a lot of things out. And so I don't think that everybody should have to go through that painful process And so we do need a handbook. We do need an acceleration guide. And despite the fact that so many people do innovation and and get involved in startups, I've talked with people and, and they're in the same situation. They figure it out piece by piece, you know, their own little journey. And so if in my own small way, I can say this was my experience. These are the steps that I followed that I think make sense. I think that this can accelerate your path to market at least give it a try and maybe I've helped you in, in some small way. So that is sort of the thesis that has brought together, whether it's the students or the corporate executives or the principal investigators who've wanted to do the startup, my sharing my experience so that all of them can hopefully do it better, faster, smarter than I did.
1: I love it. So, <clears throat> you know, a lot of them, people that are, that are listening to this hopefully are you know, they're aiming to be innovators in their own community, whether they're young entrepreneurs like myself or, or, or investors or executives. What are some common themes? Um, and this is obviously relating more directly to the book. What are some common themes that, that we should be thinking of or I could be addressing in my own m- mindset, my own methodology, to become a better innovator in whatever I do, whether it be in my startup, in my relationships, in in my community, really in every every endeavor that I choose to take for myself.
0: Well, I think that first it starts with the individual as the innovator. So we have to start with the person. Mm -hmm. And to me, the most important behaviors are to have an insatiable curiosity, But it's not just enough to be passively curious. You have to put it into action, and you have to be passionate about problem solving. And then you have to be fearless about risk, which means that you embrace change. So if you take the curiosity with the problem solving and the change, I think that embodies the innovator mindset. And I think it's really important that one not only inculcate those behaviors in themselves, but they lead from a belief in those values and behaviors as well. And so one of the most important things to do is to remove failure from your lexicon. Mm -hmm. I say replace it with pivot. If you need to change direction, if you need to change strategy, do it. It doesn't mean that you've compromised your vision or your mission, but you need to look at those market dynamics those changes, regulatory constraints, you know, whatever it might be that's creating obstacles and you may need to change direction. So I think that's um, number one. And then um, part and parcel of that is I find so often that there are different types of innovation. And so, you know, there's a really famous hair product called Rogaine uh, that was created for male pattern baldness. And what so many people don't know is that Rogaine was actually first developed by the Upjohn company as a heart failure medication. Huh. But in the clinical trials, yeah, they saw that the men with male pattern baldness were growing hair. So the Upjohn company pivoted. The Rogaine implica- uh, indication for male pattern baldness launched before the uh, the heart condition indication. And I call that kind of innovation serendipity. They absolutely got like... Right. And so many of us think that that's going to be the kind of innovation we're going to be involved in. But it's a little bit like winning the lottery. It's very alluring, but likely it won't be the kind of innovation we do. The second type, of course, is very iconic. We think about Edison and Gates and and um, Steve Jobs, and we think of Elon Musk. And we think of these big hunt, right, transformative innovations, what Apple Computing did, what Uber and Lyft have been able to do as, as unicorns, what Tesla has been able to do or SpaceX. And these are fabulous, too. But the fact of the matter is these sort of transformative, disruptive innovations are called unicorns for a reason. And they're probably right. not also the kind of innovation that you and I are going to be involved in. And so I don't want people to be discouraged by that. I don't want them to think, oh, well, I'm not going to be lucky enough to have a serendipitous innovation, and I'm not clever enough to be the innovator of something transformative. Therefore, I'm just going to put my head down and keep doing what I'm doing, because I think that the kind of innovation that can improve the way you work, improve processes, you know, even make small changes to things are really valuable. And I'll just underscore one final point that I think will be valuable to your listeners. I do see so many innovators making the same mistake. Yeah. And that is that, and I'll, I'll give you a quick story. When I was early in my innovation career, a colleague and I licensed a technology out of an Israeli lab that was a diagnostic for something called oxidative stress. And it was amazing because it could measure oxidative stress in any kind of body tissue. But as we got into it, we found out that it could have implications for heart failure, for Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, even, even selecting, um, eggs for in vitro fertilization. And the choices became so vast that we ran out of money. The investors got frustrated with us. And I call that kind of innovation field of dreams. Kevin Collins' yeah, famous movie about putting the corn, the, baseball field up in the cornfield. Build it and they will come. And it's just human nature that we want to jump to a solution. And we get so excited about the solution. We can rush to take it to market. We can ask the customer research in a way that biases us toward a positive response. And 98% of the time, that kind of innovation doesn't actually end up working because we've missed the most fundamental step and that is truly identifying the problem and making sure that that problem is one that a customer wants us to pay us wants to pay us to fix. So if I had to impress upon your listeners anything again based on one of my hard uh, fought lessons it's that you don't want to jump to solution, you don't want to do field of innovation type of innovation. That's a problem You definitely want to start very fundamentally with being a good observer, gathering that evidence about the problem. And people say, well, how can I become more problem-oriented? I don't even know how to do that. And I say, get yourself a notebook. And I don't care if it's an electronic notebook or a composition book. Every day, write down three problems that you observe. You'll start to become much more aware of what's around you You'll become more problem solving or problem identification oriented. And a lot of times what comes out of that journaling in another two or three weeks, you're going to see mm. ideas and things that you might actually develop into innovations that are like within your realm to do, like because they're in, in your life, they're in your day to day. So I think that's a great way to get started on observing problems and finding things that are within your own scope to try to fix and change and go out and change the world. I wish everybody would.
1: I love it. Right before, uh, um, I thank you for the time, and, and I really do because this has been wonderful. Um, you mentioned before a few a few different important traits for the individual, on the individual side, insatiable curiosity, passionate about problem solving. Um, removing fear from the lexicon. And then you mentioned that part of the way is to lead from those beliefs. How, you No, know, give me your two cents on not, not just, obviously there's the whole challenge of how to harness those traits yourself, but how do you, what, what does it mean to lead from these beliefs?
0: Well, I think the first thing that you have to do as a leader is create a really safe environment for your team to experiment. So Mm -hmm. this idea of abolishing failure, you have to walk that talk. And so I created something on my team that I call uh, Failure-Free Friday. And when we get together as a team, I would say, okay, I just want everybody to go around this week and tell me one thing that you did that didn't work out and what you learned from it. Because the most important thing is to try to learn from those things that don't work out. And I don't want you to only be innovating because you think there's a prize at the end of it and it's going to be phenomenally successful. But I want innovating and thinking and solving problems to be part of what you just naturally do. And the only way I can get you to do that is if I truly remove that fear of failure and create a very safe environment for you to experiment.
1: Lorraine, thank you so much for the time and the effort and the energy and the amazing impact that you're having. I enjoyed this uh, so much and I'm excited to share this, uh, watch it again and share it with friends and family. So thank you very, very much uh, for spending this time with me. Uh, good luck on your continued mission and vision. Very inspiring. And uh, thank you again for the time.
0: Oh, Michael, it was, all, it was my pleasure. And thank you for asking such terrific and insightful questions. You, you, you made this easy for me.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you very much.